you're interested in leadership and you want to lead as your most authentic self, this is the podcast for you. This is a show that breaks down the concept that leadership is complicated. Well, I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's not. I believe that it's an exchange of energy between two people. I want to create conversations for emerging and experienced leaders to come together and discover a new way to lead from the inside out. You already have everything that you need to be an exceptional leader. What we will uncover is the power of human connection and understanding how we are hardwired to seek out a true sense of belonging. So come join me. Let's create a community of leaders that are ready to challenge the status quo and who value human connections more than bottom lines. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Lead From Within podcast. I'm kind of nervous and excited all wrapped into one, and I'm not really sure why. I am excited about starting this new podcast adventure. It's certainly something I never thought I would ever do. And I like trying new things. I just, it's so kind of, it's weird. I'm sitting here in my office. It's a late Sunday afternoon as I sit down to record this. And I I wouldn't normally record on a Sunday because I like to take the weekends for myself and family. But this just seems to be the best time for me to do this. I'm relaxed and I can reflect on my week. The house is quieter. That said, I'll tell you about a little bit about me and we have two rescue dogs who follow me everywhere and they're actually sitting in my office as they likely will be for every future episode so they may bark from time to time so just a warning so yeah I'm just really excited about starting this podcast and I'm not really sure what the format's going to look like it may change and grow and develop as I'm sure I will and hang in there with me because I know I'm going to probably just be dreadful at this at the beginning but I promise to do my very best and bring content that I would want to listen to and that we can you know talk about together and learn from together so at this time the podcast will be just me you'll be stuck with me until it you know, kicks off or people want to come on and I'd love to have guests in the future. But for right now, it'll just be me chatting and I'm going to try to keep it to about 30 minutes. I'm not quite sure how people are going to be listening to this, if they'll be using it while they go for a walk or when they work out or commuting on their way to work or home from work. I'd be really interested to hear when you're listening. So drop me a a comment and if you like it, then, um, you know, leave a, a comment Um, so it's going to be every week. It'll be something that I do every week. I'll probably be uploading on Sundays. And I just wanted the first episode to be a little bit about me telling you who I am and why I'm doing this and a little bit of my backstory. So, uh, I'll start off by telling you, my name's Michelle Thompson. I, gosh, I can't believe I'm telling you this already, but I'm 50 years old. I, uh, have worked, uh, primarily in the seniors care sector for the last 16 years, but I have been a uh, healthcare leadership consultant for over 25 years, and I own my own consulting firm called Curious Consulting. I've worked in a variety of roles, VP of operations and direct uh, operational support, like general manager, directors of care. And I don't work just in healthcare, but that's primarily where I've worked because I'm also a registered nurse And I have my national certification in gerontology, so I'm considered a specialty nurse as well. I grew up in a small town in northwestern Ontario. 
I'm Canadian, if you haven't heard the, the accent, and I'll try not to say I'm sorry too often. But I grew up in Northwestern Ontario, Canada, to a single mother who is just probably the person on the planet that I adore most and have the most respect for. And I probably don't tell her that enough, truthfully. And I um, just am so grateful for everything that she, that my mother did for me growing up. She just made sure that I had a really stable home and education was always a priority for her. And um, yeah, she just taught me the the really good solid values and work ethic and um, that if you work hard, you can get you know, anything that you want and desire in life and never really told me that I couldn't do anything I wanted to do or dreamed to be. So I'm really grateful for that. So presumably I had a, you know, a really normal upbringing and um, really happy to say that and feel very grateful to say that. I went to nursing school and I graduated from uh, school in Thunder Bay and went on to uh, work in the hospital for a period of time. I worked in ICU and I worked in med surge. I've always been drawn to seniors though. And I will say that just the history of hearing their stories and, um, you know, just the past that they bring and the wisdom that they have, I've just always been drawn to caring for elderly and seniors. And it's just been a place that I've always found myself, no matter where I've been in my career. I've always been engaged somehow with delivering nursing to seniors. So I moved away from home when I was 22 years old with two girlfriends and a U-Haul. And we set off to Ottawa, Ontario, which is Canada's capital, if you weren't aware. And uh, I was surprised to find out. I thought that I would be able to get work really easily because as a nurse, you typically do. But at that time, our government had made some changes and they had cut over 2,000 nursing jobs in the province. And so you could only get a job if you had, you know, over five years experience. So it's kind of that hamster wheel approach where you can't get experience because no one will hire you. But if no one hires you, you can't get experience. So I wasn't able to get a job in the hospital. And, And back then when I graduated... I'm going to let you do the math on on your own because I already told you how old I was. Back then, working in seniors care or working in the community was really frowned upon. And there was a real stigma that if you weren't working in the hospital, you were a nurse that basically just got by graduation and you probably didn't have the skills to be able to work in an acute care setting. And um, I used to hear people say to me when they heard that I had by choice gone into long-term care. Oh, you poor thing. Were you not good enough to work in the hospital? And, you know, it just really bothered me because for anyone who's worked with seniors, it is one of the most challenging specialty areas of nursing, I would argue, out there. Because Seniors often with cognitive deficits, as most of our residents have, are not able to tell you what's going on for them. And it's really through critical thinking and amazing assessment skills and a plethora of other 
tricks that we learn over the years that we pull out of our bag as nurses allow us to deliver exceptional care and we're constantly problem solving. And seniors are very much like children in pediatric nurses that I've talked to where they typically seem very stable and, and, and are kind of going along and you think everything's okay until all of a sudden it's not. And then you're kind of in a crisis. And um, so I just want to give a shout out there to all the gerontological, gerontological nurses and those that have made a choice to work with seniors or in the long-term care, community care sector. You're doing an amazing job and kudos to you, especially during this time of COVID. So I decided to work with seniors, and I also became the head of a palliative care team uh, for a uh, company at that time. And uh, the odd thing about this for me, and where the real learning was, was that most of the patients that I had that I was caring for at home were my age. And the reason for that was that this was a time when HIV and AIDS was very prevalent and it was still considered a death sentence and it was for a lot of people and um sadly a lot of the people that I was providing care to at the end of their life they were the same age as me and so it was a real awakening in terms of how I gave care and the approach that I took and I asked them a lot of questions about what it was like to be young and dying and really wanted to learn from them and you know a lot of them told me they really appreciated that I took the time to ask them what their experience was like so fast forward a few years after working in community care I uh, decided to move to British Columbia all the way across to the west coast and the reason I did this was because at that time I was in a relationship and I, um, he was being relocated and, uh, I thought it was maybe a, a good idea to try a new adventure. I had, uh, briefly worked for the city of Ottawa and I had been working in the special needs, um, well, like wasn't special needs, I guess it was like sports and leisure department of the city of Ottawa, but I worked primarily in programs that were developed for, uh, fragile medically fragile children and we called it a spirit program i don't think the program exists anymore but it was an amazing program that was a hospice program for parents to bring their kids to twice a month on a saturday and a sunday we had them full days and we just had fun with them and treated them like normal kids but many of them had uh severe they were medically fragile so And they had severe, often cognitive deficits as well. And so we were taking kids in the swimming pool that had central lines and nobody else was doing that. And we just figured out a way to make it happen. And it was one of the most rewarding experiences I ever had. So when I made the decision to move across country, it was really difficult for me to leave not only a great job and friends and family that I had made in Ottawa, um, but just because I was going to be starting with a whole new company. And uh, that kind of leads me to the why of me kind of really doing a deep dive into leadership and um, how I've, I've ended up where I am today. So 
I take a deep breath because sometimes the story still brings up a lot of emotions for me and and I'll talk about that a little bit but uh, so there was a time that I didn't know what I was doing and I think all leaders will tell you that that's where we start off and you don't kind of come into this thinking or knowing everything and if you think you know everything then you're not a great leader because that's half of becoming an exceptional leader is learning from your mistakes, owning the mistakes, asking a ton of questions, and rinsing and repeating that over and over and over again. So there was a time in 2006 that I really had kind of given up hope that things were ever going to get better in my professional career. So as I said, I moved across country in 2006 to British Columbia from Ottawa and I had accepted a job in um, for a private company, and uh, I was going to be the general manager of a long-term care home for seniors, 152 beds. It's That's not a huge home. It's a decent size. And I had come out for a first-round interview, and it was great. I really enjoyed everybody that I met. Um, sorry, I guess that was my second-round interview because my first one was on the phone. And um, I got a call back a few days later once I returned to Ottawa and said, we'd like to offer you the position and, you know, we're going to give you a few days if you need to think about it. And I really hummed and hawed because the one thing I'll tell you about myself is that I'm a very loyal employee. I have been over the years. But the reason I'm loyal is because I get very attached to people. And I... um, was really afraid to, to move across country. At this point, I was about 35 years old and I thought, what are you doing at 35 moving across country? You'd be giving up a great job with the city of Ottawa. You've got a pension and all these things and you're going to take a risk on this job. And it just seemed kind of like a crazy thing to do. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm very... I love, first of all, just tell you, I love lists. I, I will make lists just to make a list, just so I can cross things off the list. It's crazy. I really should be owning some sort of shares in post-it notes or notepad paper because I would probably make so much money because I just love lists. So I had made a list of pros and cons and flip-flopped and couldn't make up my mind. And finally, my closest friend in the whole world, Tammy, who I love, she's like a sister. I've known her since fourth grade. And she is just like the salt of the earth. She is just one of the best humans I know in my entire life. And it almost brings tears to my eyes when I think about her because I just love her so much. She said to me, Michelle, go for a year. And if you don't like it, just come home. You're making this way harder than it needs to be. And I just thought, you know, you're right. It's an adventure. So I accepted, packed my bags, and eight weeks later, I was getting in my car and driving to Thunder Bay by myself. It's about an 18-hour drive, and I cried probably half of that drive. Um, Just you know, because I was leaving behind a big 
part of my adult life in Ottawa and um, excited and petrified all at the same time. So I got to Thunder Bay for two days and saw family and friends. Um, and then my mom and my cousin decided that they were going to come with me on the rest of the drive. So we made a, a girl's road trip and we drove from Thunder Bay to uh, Vancouver in two and a half days and hit every single season along the way. I moved in September and we drove from Thunder Bay to Regina in the first day and um, it was snowing in Regina and then we drove from Regina to Golden and in Golden we hit torrential rain and had to pull over because we were driving through mountain ranges and it wasn't safe to be driving and I think we got probably one of the last hotel rooms and then we drove uh, the last day from Golden to Vancouver and uh, thankfully it was sunny and beautiful coming to Vancouver and I felt like it was a little welcome. So back to my story. When I first started at this care home in 2006, everything was great. The staff were happy, the residents were happy, families were happy to see me. And about, I don't know, maybe eight or nine weeks after I I was there, I started to feel a subtle shift in the attitudes of the care team. They just seemed to be like less engaged and more critical despite all of my efforts to have an inclusive meeting and to have employee appreciation events. And I even often worked as a nurse when we were short-staffed. And I realized in that moment that it seemed like the honeymoon period was over. And so there were days when I really just started to not love going there because I felt like I wasn't making anyone happy and I wasn't sure that I was even making a positive change. And so I arrived to work one day and the admin coordinator at that time came in my office and said, we got a call this morning about 15 minutes ago that a licensing officer from the health authority is coming by to do an investigation on a complaint that they received. And I said, okay, well, we have nothing to hide and we give really good care. So that's okay. Can you, did they tell you what the complaint was? And she hummed and hawed and I could tell she was avoiding telling me. And I finally said to her, you need to tell me what you know. So she looked at me dead in the eyes and said to me, they're coming because of you. And I said, excuse me? And she said, they're coming because there was a complaint made against you that you asked a nurse to cover up the death of a resident. And in that moment, I felt the blood literally drain from my body. And I thought that I might actually faint. And I went into a tailspin of complete and utter panic because I had only been working there a few months. I had no idea whether or not this new employer would have my back and believe that this was not true and I had not done this. By all regards, they thought the home was being run really well under my direction. And I was confused and scared all at once. So... I think in those moments, you just sort of go into autopilot and you just put one foot in front of the other because that's all, it's like, it's just that fight or flight response, it's survival. 
So a licensing officer arrived shortly thereafter. I pulled myself together, set her up in a room, gave her all of the documentation she wanted. And after a full day of a very comprehensive investigation, um, the results came back that I had clearly not instructed a nurse to cover up the death of a resident. And when the nurse that made the allegation uh, was spoken to about why, she said, well, I thought that if I could get, if we could get her fired, meaning me, that things would go back to the way that they were because we didn't like that she was making changes. And it was in that moment that I learned that this was a pattern of behavior that had happened before. This was really nothing about me, that I was the sixth general manager of six in almost six years. This had never been disclosed to me before, despite my asking the employer at the time during my interview process if there were any issues that I needed to know about. It was a unionized environment, but they said, no, everything's really great. So I felt, you know, immediately that I had been lied to and that sort of made me feel really uneasy because then I started having panic attacks driving to work, knowing that I was not prepared to lead a dysfunctional team. In that moment, I felt like I had no idea what I was doing and that I had absolutely not been set up to succeed. I was exhausted. I didn't really have the support or understanding of most of the senior leaders in the organization And there was nobody taking care of me so that I could take care of others. And when I tell this story, as I said earlier, it still evokes emotions that make me feel really anxious and unsafe and ashamed and like I was a failure. And it's because of this that I've experienced the psychological damage that can be inflicted on people by a continuous workplace dysfunction, the ineffective communication that often accompanies that, And then just the feeling that things will never get better. And so this brings me to my current, why? Why are you doing this podcast? And it's because I want every leader, not just healthcare leaders, but I want every leader to know that it doesn't have to be this way. So let me just back up a little bit. Most organizations hire people like me at that time who had the hard skills that would produce desired outcomes like low vacancies, low turnover, fantastic resident satisfaction surveys, people, the customer user experience was fantastic. The problem is, is that when you hire people in this way, you end up with managers and not leaders because they understand their job and probably the jobs of the people that report to them. But they likely have no idea how to lead people. I thought I did and I didn't. Because I was too busy focusing on a bottom line. And it's no wonder why so many leaders feel overwhelmed and disempowered and disengaged. So after many years of feeling frustrated that I wasn't leading as my most authentic self, I found myself waiting for the industry to come up with a solution to solve the issue of the high turnover that we were experiencing and the lack of new employees coming into the workforce. And it was during this time that I had really honestly given up on existing leadership models because I felt that I was spending my day managing people and that I was in a perpetual cycle of fixing problems that were often already in crisis mode and I was never coming up with solutions and I was still exhausted. 
So here's what I came up with. In healthcare, we have a term, it's actually a philosophy that's called person-centered care. And what it does is it ensures that the unique needs of our clients or patients are met by knowing their very specific preferences. And so I found myself multiple times asking the question, why do we apply this model to our patients, but we don't apply it to our people, our employees? Why aren't we creating opportunities to get to know our employees better to make sure that their individual needs are being fulfilled? We have years of evidence-based research already that validates that these approaches are effective because we use them with patients. So why don't we ever use this knowledge rather than continuously trying to reinvent the wheel? So I just took the bull by the horn, so to speak, and I've been applying this approach for years. And in previous employers that I worked for became known as the fixer because they would task me with supporting teams that were struggling and I was always able to do so using this philosophy and approach. So I've learned that by making small and powerful shifts in how I engage with people, it's made a huge difference in how I lead. And the biggest impact, or I guess outcome of that, is that I've been able to see the way that people change the way they lead around me. Because when you know how to support and encourage people by creating trust and connection, it brings out the collective best in anyone. So what I really wanted to do by creating this podcast is share that if you're struggling and you're frustrated, stop. It doesn't need to be that way. Let's work together to create safe work environments for our employees. I argue that we should be focusing on the employee experience and not the customer experience because if your people are happy, your customers will be happy. It's just the way it's going to be. I think we've made leadership way more complicated than it needs to be. It's not. So I think it's also important that you know what my core values are. And I have six. And sometimes these change because I'm growing and I'm developing. But my top six core values that have been with me for quite some time are kindness, humility, respect, honesty, trust, and empathy. So if those align with your core values then I hope you're going to stick with me, grow with this podcast, tell me what you want to hear about, and I hope you come back for more. I'm really excited that this is the first episode under my belt, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Thanks for tuning in to the Lead From Within podcast. For more information on leadership, employee engagement, and self-care, you can follow me on Instagram. Curis Consulting. Curis is spelt C-U-R-I-S. So that's Curis underscore consulting. Click on the link tree link at the top of my bio for a free discovery call with me and to get some free downloads. You can also join the Lead From Within Facebook group or you can visit my website at www.curisconsulting.ca. If you feel inspired to, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. Your support is greatly appreciated. Thanks again for tuning in and see you in the next episode.